Good morning. Well, this morning we continue working our way through this letter from the Apostle Paul to the churches in the region of Galatia. And having argued throughout this letter that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, at the end of that passage that we worked our way through last week, the Apostle issues a blunt warning to his readers. He says, don't use the freedom that you have in Christ to indulge in the flesh. Don't conclude that because salvation is a gift and it isn't the result of any effort that you have made on your part, don't conclude that it doesn't matter how you behave. As the Apostle sees it, there are three possible responses to this freedom that is on offer to us in Christ. There's the legalistic one, there's the fleshy one, and there's the fruity one. And in each instance, all three groups of people are aiming for the same thing, freedom. But in only one instance is true freedom actually to be found. Now the legalists we've heard a lot about in this letter already. They wanted to earn their salvation and to gain their freedom from condemnation under the law by carefully observing the law. Now the problem is, of course, that it was um, impossible for them to completely fulfil all of the requirements of the law on their own. So these legalistic believers were ending up enslaving themselves in their constant efforts to try and live up to the standard of the law and they were seeking to enslave others by imposing those same standards on them. And all of this was unnecessary and ultimately counterproductive because the more you strive to try and earn your freedom, the more you become bound up in your efforts of trying to earn that freedom. The second group that he speaks about are what I would call the fleshy group. These people aren't interested in striving to meet any kind of standards set by the law. They believe themselves to be free either because God's law doesn't apply to them since they don't recognise God or recognise his law or in the case that the apostle is speaking about here they believe that their salvation is like some kind of get out of jail free card like you have in that that board game Monopoly. As long as you're holding that salvation card then they reason you can do pretty much whatever you like without a care because there are no consequences. Keep on sinning, keep on asking for forgiveness and the cycle goes on and on. And in their minds, it's like they're holding a never-ending get-out-of-jail-free card. The trouble is that the word that is used here for desire these desires of the flesh, means 
literally an all-consuming desire or an overwhelming desire. Sin creates in us this desire for one thing or another and that desire can become so strong in us that we just have to have it or we simply can't control it. And we do things that we would not otherwise do. We get ourselves into more debt than what we could otherwise handle. Or we will knowingly put at risk a marriage or break trust in a friendship. Or we will put God second or third or, or worse. Or we will do something dishonest or treat someone in a nasty sort of way. Something that we would be ashamed of just to satisfy these desires of the flesh. And ultimately these desires can end up being what controls us, what motivates us in the things that we do day by day. And when that happens, what we thought was freedom ends up being no kind of freedom at all, just a different kind of slavery to the things or to the feelings that we desire or to the experiences that we feel that we must constantly have for ourselves. And we end up never being fully satisfied and never being truly free. Neither legalism nor these works of the flesh can hope to produce what Paul calls here fruit. Legalism produces only self-righteous deeds and what the other produces, Paul says, is evident or obvious. We can see these things around us and he gives us four categories of what he calls these works of the flesh. The first is in the area of human sexuality. Three words are used, sexual immorality, impurity and sensuality. Now these together cover quite a wide range of potential activities and behaviours. Anything from looking at pornographic material, uh, sexual activity between unmarried people, and if we're to go by the standards of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, then even immoral thoughts. The second category refers to the area of religion. Two words are used there, idolatry and sorcery. So this is a worship of other gods, putting other gods before Jesus, and dabbling with the powers of evil. The third category, which is his largest category, relates to how human beings deal with one another in relationships and in society. And the words that he uses there are enmity, which is like hatred, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And don't we so often see all of those things within the way that humans interact with one another. Final category relates to those things that can control us uh, through addiction. 
drunkenness and drunken orgies. Now, it's not an exclusive list. He tacks on the end of that list and the like. So these are just an example of some of the things, but there are plenty more things that control us. There's a whole range of things that are the product of our sinful nature that can become in us an unhealthy over-desire. Now, he's not talking here about an occasional repented of mistake or about the person who is genuinely seeking help to recover from some sort of addiction in their lives. These are the type of tensions that will always be at work within believers because of this principle of what we call now and not yet. So we have been saved. We are all a new creation. We are a new creation right here and right now. And yet we exist on earth in bodies that have not yet been fully glorified because we're living in this era of now and not yet. So the present age is the here and now. The age to come when the reign and the rule of Christ on earth will be fully realised and all will be in submission to him, that age isn't here yet. That's the not yet part. But there's this area between the birth of Christ and between his second coming, when he will return in all of his glory, that is the present age. That's the age that we're living in now. And it's the age when the present age and the age to come overlap. And we call that period of time the last days. And these are the days that we are living in now. So whilst we are a new creation and we're free from the burden of our sin or the eternal consequences of our sin, we still sin because we haven't got to that full age to come just yet. We still sin because there's this battle raging within each one of us between the sinful nature and the spirit who dwells within us. And the Apostle Paul was very much aware of this. He was aware of it because it was at work in him as well. And we find that hard to believe because surely the Apostle Paul can be held up as the standard of a human being to, to sort of live up to. Surely he couldn't have been fighting these same battles that we must fight. But by his own testimony that we find in Romans chapter 7, we, we can see that he was. He says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So this very same conflict was playing out in his own life. So when he says that the works of the flesh are evident and he lists 
all of those examples of what some of those works might be, and he warns us that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, we need to be clear about what he doesn't mean. So he doesn't mean that if you've had a terrible day at work, everything has gone wrong, you've been blamed for things that you did not do, you've been stuck in traffic for over an hour trying to get home, you're late home for dinner, and when you arrive home, you find that the kids have decided to redecorate the lounge room walls with texture. And so you fly into a fit of anger at those children, which you later regret and you repent of. He doesn't mean that you are disqualified by that one outburst from ever inheriting the kingdom of God. He doesn't mean that if your life before Christ was one great big drunken party after another, that that disqualifies you from inheriting the kingdom of God because in Christ you are a new creation and the old is gone. He doesn't mean that if you ever looked at pornography or you ever engaged in sexual activity outside of marriage, or if you'd ever been envious of someone else's material possessions or their talents or their looks or, or whatever, or you were raised in a culture where other gods were worshipped within your home, he doesn't mean that any of those things necessarily disqualify you from inheriting the kingdom of God because the saving work of Christ on the cross has brought forgiveness for us from those things. And if you are a believer, if you are led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. But if we choose to forego that freedom and allow those desires of the flesh to control us, then we will be judged according to God's standard and all of us will be found falling short. So the answer to all of this, the solution to this great conflict that is going on inside us is to walk by the Spirit. And those that walk by the Spirit, these are the fruity kind of people. If you're walking by the Spirit, says Paul, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Two things he tells us about those who are led by the Spirit. Number one is that they produce fruit. Such people accept by faith the gift of salvation and they seek to give the Holy Spirit and an all-access, all-areas pass into their lives. Nothing is kept out of bounds from him. The second thing about these kind of people is that they are not under the law. Now notice in verse 19 we have the words, the works of the flesh are evident, or some say they're 
the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. But when he's referring to the spirit and what the spirit produces in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Paul doesn't say the works of the spirit and he doesn't say the acts of the spirit. He chooses to use the word fruit. And I think it's a very deliberate choice that he makes. Because fruit is something that we're all familiar with. When we think of fruit, something comes to mind. And that something can tell us many things. In the case of fruit, I think it can tell us many things if we think carefully about what fruit is. The first thing it tells us, or the first thing we can think about when we think about fruit, is that a tree does not consciously produce fruit. Now we have a mandarin tree at our house. It produces fruit abundantly, but this poor mandarin tree is in the worst possible position that it could be. It is right behind a basketball ring. And so all day long it gets battered by basketballs and it gets crushed by kids trying to get through the branches to retrieve the lost basketballs. If a tree consciously produced fruit, this tree would be a conscientious objector because of the terrible beha uh, behaviour that is inflicted upon it. But it doesn't. It produces abundantly. Trees don't sit there and think, oh, today, you know, I might produce a mandarin. And tomorrow, maybe I'll produce a watermelon. You know? They don't do that. They just produce. It just happens. The fruit grows. And that's what it's like with the fruit of the Spirit. It's produced because of the work of the Spirit within us. We don't sit there and consciously think, about what we're trying to do. It's not produced because of anything that we have done. It is a work of the spirit within us. The second thing we can observe about fruit is that fruit grows slowly. You don't go out to your orange tree and find that yesterday there was nothing and today it's coming down with oranges. The fruit starts off very small and it takes time for it to mature. And so too does the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a believer. You don't expect that at the moment of conversion there's going to be this abundance of fruit. It can take time for that fruit to mature. And so we need to be patient with ourselves and we need to be patient with other believers we need to forgive ourselves and to forgive others when we aren't as patient or as kind or as gentle as perhaps we should be because we are a work in progress, all of us, and we need to allow time for that fruit to mature. Fruit is visible. There is no such thing as a fruit tree that has invisible fruit. If it's there, you can see it. 
and so too the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Fruit always grows together. You don't generally find a tree with just one piece of fruit on it unless of course the birds have come down and carried off 99% of the fruit and left you with only one which usually doesn't happen they usually take all of it in one go and leave you with nothing but under normal circumstances fruit grows together Paul refers here to the fruit of the spirit and he says the fruit of the spirit is he doesn't say the fruits of the spirit are love joy peace patience and all of those things where there is fruit there will be all of those things in the life of a believer because there is one type of fruit spiritual gifts like prophecy speaking in tongues or teaching or mercy those types of things they are given by God to individual believers in the church. Each one of us has different gifts that we use together to build up the body. That's spiritual gifts. Fruit of the Spirit is evident in the life of every believer. Different people have different spiritual gifts but there is only one fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you may well feel that you're stronger in one area than the other. You might struggle in one area and not so much in the other. Maybe that's to do more with your temperament. But all of these gifts, all of, these, all of this fruit should be evident in your life. But you may only have one or two or three gifts of the Spirit. So, a quick game. Very easy game. I'm going to show you a picture. You're going to tell me what fruit or what tree it is. So we start with a very, very easy one. You've got trouble if you can't guess this one. It is an avocado tree. This one, a cherry tree. An apple tree, yes. And the last one? peach tree very easy so all of you have proven that the words of Jesus are true when he spoke of the false prophets and said by your fruits you will know them or you will recognize them false prophets produce bad fruit avocado trees produce avocados cherry trees produce cherries and Christians will produce the fruit of the Spirit. You will know them by their fruit. The next thing we can learn about ourselves from fruit is that fruit doesn't exist for itself. It exists for the benefit of others. It exists in the case of physical fruit to nourish another life and to do the work of reproducing the plant and likewise the fruit that the spirit produces in me or produces in you is not primar primarily for our own benefit 
others will benefit from any patience or any kindness or any gentleness or any of those other things that are produced in each one of us. Fruit does not exist for itself. Against such things, says Paul, there is no law. Those who live by the Spirit produce fruit. They produce fruit because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within each one of them. Therefore, the kind of fruit that they produce will reflect the character of God. And it will reflect the character of God in a way that the law could not do. There is no law against such things because no law is needed. Since the fruit being produced already reflects the character of God, then you don't need the law to help you to do that. The fruit becomes the ultimate expression of the law. There was an Indian pastor once who travelled to the United States to attend uh, a theological conference. And the topic of the conference or the theme of the conference was law and grace. And he arrived at the conference and all morning he sat through lengthy and convoluted theological arguments addressing this topic of law and grace. Finally, during one of the afternoon sessions, he felt confident enough to speak his mind. It seems to me, he said, that the train station that we all came in on today demonstrates the law, but that this venue that we are now sitting in demonstrates grace. And the academics all looked at him and wondered, how so? Well, he said, at the train station, there was a very clear sign up on the wall that said, no spitting. But I noticed many of the men were spitting. But here there is no sign, and yet no one spits. What Paul is really describing here is the outworking of the new covenant that the prophet Jeremiah spoke about. He spoke for the Lord of a time when God would make a new covenant with his people. And it would be a covenant unlike anything that had been before it. Under this covenant, the law would not be written on tablets of stone as it had been previously. It would be put within God's people. It would be written on their hearts. How so? By the presence of the Holy Spirit in each one. The Holy Spirit within each one produces fruit in keeping with God's character. So everything that the law was trying to achieve in an external way is achieved by the Holy Spirit in an internal way, in the fruit that is produced in the lives of believers. That's why there is no law against such things. 
It's not because the law is wrong. It is not because the law has been superseded, but because everything that the law was trying to do externally is being achieved internally by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So Paul concludes with this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And if you were at our recent bush dance, you would have seen many, many examples of being in step, some great examples of being in step, and some really terrible examples of being way out of step. When you're in step, you tend to move together in one direction. You know where your partner is going. You anticipate their moves and you can move with them. You can complement what they're doing. Now, this was relatively easy early on in the night on that bush dance as the band kind of warmed us into things with some of the easier dances. But as the night wore on, the dances got more and more complicated. Toes started getting stepped on. People were losing track of where they were supposed to be. We were going under when we were supposed to go over and we were going in when we were supposed to be going out. And at times, people found that they completely lost their partner in the crowd. Keep in step with the spirit, says Paul. Don't get too far out in front trying to do things on your own and don't lag too far behind or you'll get lost. Keep in step. Get to know your partner so that you can anticipate his moves. You know, in dancing, it's always very awkward uh, when you're matched with someone that you don't know very well. And that happens in bush dancing when you move from partner to partner. You don't know where that person's going to feel comfortable holding you. You don't know what sort of style they have. Are they going to be that energetic kind of dancer that's flinging you all over the place or are they going to be very tentative? You don't know. And so you're second guessing each other and that's when toes get stepped on and people get bumped and pushed. But if your dance partner is someone that you regularly dance with, then over time you get to know each other and you can anticipate where the partner is moving and you can move with them almost as one. If you think of professional ballroom dancers or professional figure skaters, they appear to move almost like as one. And that does not happen by rocking up at the dance studio or at the ice skating ring and picking a person and off you go. You know, it comes from hours and hours and hours of time spent together. It comes from good communication and it comes through working things through together. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God. He is your partner in life who wants to produce good fruit in you. So we need to get to know him well. 
We need to spend time alone with God in his word. We need to practice our communication skills in prayer, remembering that good communication involves not only speaking, but sometimes more importantly, it involves the act of listening. And when we do these things, increasingly following his lead will become second nature. We will move together. When we keep in step, moving with him almost as one, then beautiful fruit will be produced in each of our lives. Would you join with me in prayer? We thank you, Father, for sending us your spirit, your living presence at work in us. Father, may my life be open to you. May each life here be open to you. May we offer you and access all areas past to our lives with nothing being kept hidden or out of bounds to you. May there be no attitude in me, no selfish desire and no secret part of me that I refuse to yield to you. Search me and show me anything that might keep me from being out of step with your Holy Spirit. Bring to our minds now anything that would keep us from being in step with your Spirit that we might offer them up to you in this moment. Amen. Sarah's going to lead us in our final song, Holy Spirit, Living Breath of God.